This episode of Blue Breakaway is brought to you by you, the listener. That's how we keep this podcast going. Patreon.com slash Blue Breakaway, where you can support us doing good things on our Discord, uh, listening to our PSBOTs, or all the other content we have ramping up, because honestly, I think we're in for quite the season of New York Rangers hockey, and camp opens pretty soon. I mean, the first preseason game's in a couple weeks. So we'll be bringing you all the content all year round. I can't ima- even imagine what we're going to get into after what happened last year. We cover Montreal a little bit with our good friend Andrew from uh, from Eyes on the Prize, Habs Eyes on the Prize today. And Greg and I recap what we missed. A little bit of kayak in town, a little bit of change in agents, stuff like that. So here's the show and here's Mark Messier. Missed you guys. Hi everybody, it's Mark Messier and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Welcome to the week of the Bush Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead, returned from said woods, and I'm here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan. Greg, say hello. Ryan, first and foremost, yes. are you okay? Yeah, um, I'm okay. I had a very um, an extremely Ryan vacation. Phone off, went to the woods, went to Fenway, beautiful park. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes, I guess. And then uh, went to the New York Rena- Renaissance Fair as a, a very Ryan tradition. So, there so you, you, you heard the news then? Well, no, what was the news? My, just, my phone turned back on this morning. Tanner Glass is no longer with the organization. You're kidding me. <laughs> no, this is not a joke, right? You, you, I, why else would I ask if you're okay? Holy shit. I, th- I thought that you were, like, you were trying to troll me with like a trading Kako deal. I'm, I, we talked for 20 minutes before this. I can't believe you held it to the pod, you asshole. Well, that's, that's called uh, podcast magic, baby. Really? You hadn't heard. No. You're not shitting me. No one tagged me. Wow. That's Did- good work by Twitter. Did no one – I'm looking at my mention right now. I just checked this morning. No one tagged me. I got tagged some other stuff like please retweet to help me win a shirt or some other stuff. But I – when is this? When, when did, What happened? When did it – was it announced? I think it's it's just part of – it was one of those – I think it was in Carpy's mailbag. No. It's just one of those Drury is changing a few things kind of thing. No. It also totally didn't happen. I was wondering oh. how long I should go with this, but you seem legitimately <laughs> upset. I have. <laughs> I was. All right, you dick. All right. Yeah, Fitz, back. Fitz, Fitz, and I were plotting some things that we could come up with that would legitimately get a reaction from you, and too many, too many people were going too pie in the sky, and I, 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 I picked, a, I picked a winner. The Tanner time. Glass one is good because I, first of all, I was extremely upset with all my Twitter followers for literally nobody tagging me for a second. I was like, has I, have I lost it? Did the vacation go? Did all everything go away? What happened on a Monday morning? Very sad. Um, so I also heard there's a kayak that resigned in New York. Is that true? Sure did. Okay. Cool. Sure did. He's I, back. I don't know how much cool. to say about that. It's a two-way deal. Lieber Hayek can go to AHL. Uh, that's ex- where I expect him to be. Well, now, so we got we have to. You understand the two-way deal just means he's getting paid different salaries at each level, right? Correct. This isn't like but I think- a minor league contract with baseball where they can just immediately put him in the minor leagues i expect him to be in the ahl unless there's an injury that's kind of how i feel about it well i'm trying to think who tenorti wasn't the only other defenseman they signed right God, Didn't can they I, sign another? I, I did rick read rick's mailbag which is why i was so upset that i missed the tanner part or i went right through it I, I rick made a lot of great points in that mailbag including uh if Ryan Reeves and Tenorti aren't just fighting Tom Wilson. What the hell is the point of them? And he still doesn't understand the boost trade, which surprised Rick. Welcome uh, in that case. 
but Tenorti, like, I guess he could get buried for Lieber pretty quickly after he fights Tom Wilson. Oh, I keep forgetting Potato is still here, too. He is? Yeah. He's a good kid. Well, they had to sign him to a two-year deal a local kid. to meet right. the draft qualifications. Right. He's probably going to be in Hartford, too. I don't know. If I guess... God, what, what, I mean, one it's going to be really weird Hayek for the D and this Potato year. will be in Hartford. I just don't know who, I guess. Because, well, the seventh D is going to be... Is probably going to be... Mm. Well, I don't think Tenorti is here to be the seventh D. I think he's here to be, like, the eighth D... Tom Wilson fighter. F. Yeah, he's here to be a Tom Wilson fighter. That's it. Exactly. We don't need a we don't need to litigate who the Rangers seventh D is gonna be today. But That's a fair needless to say, fair they have point. options of guys who exist. Right. Okay. What else did I miss? I heard um there's a, this guy named Jack Eichel who changed his agent. Yep, sure did. Changed his agent. I, I am confused about the Ranger fans who thought this was good news necessarily. Oh, I think this I don't is think bad news. Yeah. I don't think it's bad news. I just think it's news. Like, it's it's a thing that happened. A couple weeks back. I, I don't think going from the same agent that is the agent for Chris Drury is necessarily a good thing. Agreed. So, I think Peter Fish was very clearly an advantage for the Rangers. But I don't think Brisson is necessarily the kiss of death. I just... He, from what I've been able to uncover, Ryan, and oh. I, I, I did some digging. I did some digging. Really, you? Uh, I need, I, I, you're insidering while I'm gone. I'm so proud. I need, I needed some distractions from the Mets, uh, as you could. Thumbs have down, guessed. baby. Boy, Ryan. I have emergency I, podcast. I have your, while I have your emergency podcast queued to listen to today. Yeah, I, I twenty hate, minutes of just Greg. I no hate that I'm going it. to do it, but I am actually going to do it. <laughs> it is quality radio. Let me tell you right now. Yeah. Someone give me a radio show. I'm available. Anyway, uh, Brisson, from what I understand, is the Boris of hockey. You need some shit done? My dude is going to get it done. I mean, yeah. When Drew was on the podcast a couple weeks ago, I said, you know, Peter Fish doesn't have the sway that Pat Brisson does. Or Brisson, whichever you want to say it. It's me. Definitely Brisson. But cool. It's French-Canadian. It's Ryan that's saying this, so you know who's listening. Yep. And uh, Pat Brisson, in this case, like, he can make things happen. It seems like the yeah. surgery is going to go down, but that might delay the trade till the trade deadline. But like, also, the, it's not like the Madison Square Garden Network doesn't have a good relationship with CAA, considering they are asking CAA to run the Knicks. They are so running I the Knicks. So I can't exactly sit here and say this is a bad thing for New York, because all, all Dolan has to do is be like, CAA, those are three letters I know. Who did I just hire from CIA? Mm. Oh, Leon Rose. The guy who's hey, running Leon. my entire organization. Yeah, Leon, do you mind making a phone call for me? Um, so I I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's good for Eichel. I, I, I do think that's an advantage. But I don't think it's necessarily a kiss of death for the Rangers because nobody is yet to present me a non-Ranger trade option that makes sense. Also, no beat writer and nobody that covers the Rangers, which uh, has pretty much said, I believe this to be the opening night roster. All we continue to hear over and over again is, I believe there will be more changes before opening night. It is September 6th. (laughs) Camp opens next week. I think I'm pretty sure that the first preseason game is like the 27th. Don't quote me. I've been in the woods. My bad. But it's not that far away. It's not that far away at all. Maybe the preseason game before that, but we're we are approaching. What, figure out what the hell your team is, what you're doing, and get ready for the season now because it's a long season. 
with the Olympics, by the way. Uh, which September we'll... September twenty sixth, right? Okay, three days earlier. Thank you, appreciate it. So, a couple weeks. You got to uh, twenty days. I don't know who's going to be. Uh, you know, we talked about Dvorak as an option on this podcast. We'll get into offer sheets. Uh, uh, we are an offer sheet podcast, and it's a shame that the Canes actually did it. And I think was a positive move for them. Congratulations mm. to the Canes. You don't think so? No. We'll talk about it with ah. Andrew. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get into it. I I am disappointed that Dvorak is off the board. Yes, mostly. Again, it, it almost has nothing to do with Christian Dvorak and whether anybody wants to litigate whether he's a great hockey player, a good hockey player, an average hockey player, whether the Canadians paid too much, blah blah blah. That's not the point. the The point is for the for, for the third year in a row, we have been told by the New York Rangers that Ryan Strom is not good enough. And yet the New York Rangers still haven't done anything with Ryan Strome not a damn thing. in terms of trading him or improving on him. No, nope. It's not even – and again, I, I feel like people think it's you and I saying bad things about Ryan Strome. We do occasionally say bad things about Ryan Strome misses because I'm just nauseous every time the man misses an open net. Yeah, It's not my favorite thing in the world. But it's, it's not us saying the Rangers need to improve over Ryan Strome. It's not us saying Ryan Strome isn't good enough. It's not us saying Ryan Strome – isn't the investment the New York Rangers should be making. It's the New York Rangers it's saying literally it. literally the Rangers saying, hey, bo- multiple GMs pretty much have come out and be like, yeah, we've tried to trade Ryan as hard as possible. <laughs> and we can't yeah, get anything like, for him. So yeah, guess he's it's, here. It's, it's, not, it's not you and I being like, man, this guy stinks. This, it's the Rangers being like, man, we could do better. This and feels like they can't. years ago, but Elliot Friedman – in like June was like lock of the century Ryan Strom to be traded. <laughs> like he's gone. Like there's no way he plays another game but for the Rangers. This right, this time one year ago, the Rangers were thinking about, you know, I know we I know we took this contract to arbitration, but what if we just let Ryan Strom become a free agent? That was like, that was a real conversation. We were twenty four hours away from that actually happening. We had a like an yeah. emergency OT because the Rangers were never gonna do it. Here we are. Unbelievable. Unreal. Yeah, but it, yeah. So it's it's not. But it, again, it's not just that. Mika Zibanejad hasn't signed an extension that seemed inevitable once the the clock struck midnight on July twenty sixth. A lot Fox. of things. Yeah, Fox. I mean, Fox. I at least understand because it's not like the Rangers have to worry about potentially losing him to free agency next year. It's so also wanna... you know it's not like he's going to lose value really. How much? Correct. How much higher could his value go already? Correct. Now I will, again, I mean, the Rangers don't have to worry about it because they never offer sheet anybody. So no one's going to come with an offer sheet on Adam Fox, but something to consider. Also, I guess the Rangers have more leeway with Adam Fox because it's not like Adam Fox is desperately trying to leave New York. He forced his way out of two different organizations to get to New York. Be very weird if all of a sudden Adam Fox was like, you know what? This has been fun. I'm out. Yeah. I have my childhood team that I loved my entire life and forced my way into a situation where I became the best young defenseman in the league on my favorite team. I want to go. (laughs) Don't see that. Seem odd. If you ask me. Yeah. But I still think he signs for like a hometown discount in some way. I think he'll get like the 8.5, eight years kind of deal. Well, yeah. Like a hometown discount for Adam Fox just means he's not getting paid 10 and a half million dollars a year. Right. He's still going to be very expensive. He's worth 12. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. But Zibanejad is at least curious at this point in time. Again, if the New York Rangers really didn't want Jack Eichel, you think they would just check all these boxes off their list this close to camp and call it a day? Couple of comparative. They would get Zibanejad signed. They would make some kind of move with yep. Strom. They would do something with five, like they traded Buchnevich because they said they didn't have cap space, and then they have proceeded to not use said cap space. 
Yes, at all. They still have, I believe, 8.5 to 9 million and can easily make more. I think it's a shade under 8. Could easily make more. Oh, yeah, because with the Lieber Hayek, whatever. And not that he makes any money. Uh, But then I saw a couple right before I left. There was a couple. uh, The Ajo signing was a 7.7 for eight years. And then Couturier was another one. Uh, So those are comparable contracts, especially the Couturier one for me because of Benajad, where I think he got 7.25. Maybe it was a little more than that, 7.75, something like that. You know, hockey numbers. Uh, so in, in this case, Mika Zibinijad, who was asking for $10 million, uh, from what I understand, could you see him signing for something like 7.5? No, eight? absolutely not. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I think we always put too much stock, at least from the player perspective, we put too much stock into – Mika Zibanejad sees what Sean Couturier got and wants to lower his number. I, I definitely think Chris Jury sees what Sean Couturier got and is like, Mika, I'm not going to pay you significantly more than Sean Couturier. Right. But I don't think Mika Zibanejad gives two shits what Sean Couturier makes, nor do I think he should. And I do think we – I just think we've always put, like, too much stock into this. Like, people are like, well, Garrett Cole got $300 million, so Jacob DeGrom needs $500 million. I mean, Jacob DeGrom needs whatever the fuck he needs, right? He needs the right arm right now. Same thing goes with Mika Zibanejad, where who cares? His camp should be of the mindset of who cares. I think it sets a nice floor for Mika Zibanejad that he's, like, guaranteed to get seven and a half. But he was always guaranteed to get seven and a half. There was never a world where he wouldn't, unless... Right. I mean, his season last year at the beginning was abysmal, but he turned it on and became one of the most prolific scorers, especially against yeah, the thank Flyers. God for the, thank, thank God for Sean Couturier and the Philadelphia Flyers. I know, because if, if not for them, I don't know if uh, he would be demanding this 10-point situation. 10, 10 million. 10 points, very similar uh, <laughs> for yeah. me because of Inajad in this case. So that brings us back down to people constantly ask us. People are asking. People are talking about it. Hey, who is the center the Rangers are going to go for? Well, I have bad news for you. It's the same two that we've been talking about for months, which is Thomas Hurdle and uh, Jack Eichel. That's it. And I guess Kuznetsov, if you want to add a third. Sure. And those are the big three. And after that, I really don't know who the hell it would be because we've talked. We've, we've talked about uh, Dvorak. Maybe uh, I I'm sh- I know that not know, but I've heard that they've talked to Detroit about. Dylan Larkin uh, in that. And I don't think that went anywhere because why the hell would they do that? Uh, it's a situation where it's the same guys and it's September 6th. Like, I don't know who the hell. I, I think that we're going to open the camp with these, this, this team we have now. I can't see first, otherwise. First, first of all, did you just do like a key bump in the middle of this show? No, I, I'm starting to sniffle and I don't know why it did. It did sound like I did some sort of a, Magical yeah. people think ball. people already think you're on drugs when you're doing this show so then when you sniffle right into a microphone it kind of just confirms the beliefs they have damn it's true i did get called a, a squirrel on cocaine once i it's so funny because i've been sitting here and my nose was totally fine all morning now i'm much like a faucet all of a sudden in the middle of the yeah. podcast very strange well the ten, ten the ten of glass news really got to you <laughs> i just had to get out of the system quick uh um, oh, no yeah i i so hurdles interesting i will never come on this show and say he's a bad player I'll never come on this show and say the New York Rangers wouldn't instantly be a better team if they were to acquire Hurdle. And I wouldn't come on the show and say the cost, obviously, to get a disgruntled player on an expiring deal is a lot less than to get a disgruntled player on a rather team-friendly contract. And one of those players needs neck surgery. So it's, you know, the cost of business to get Hurdle makes a ton of sense. What doesn't make a ton of sense to me if you don't know what's going to happen with Mika Zibanejad, I don't know why you would trade for another top six center 
where you don't know what's going to happen with them after the season. Like yes. why add two variables that, that like part of the, part of the allure of trading for Eichel and some, to some people, it's not an allure at all because they're psychotic and they think he's overpaid and they don't want that long-term of a commitment to Jack Eichel, to which I say, go outside, do something else. Stop watching hockey. If Jack Eichel is like 95% entirely. of what he was before, or even like 60%, he's still. Oh no, he's only the seventh best player in the NHL. Yeah, sorry guys. Uh, yeah, so it's it's difficult to me that, to see why the Rangers would want to possibly go into the season with two centers set to be free agents and set for big paydays if they have the season they are capable of having. So that's not to say that necessarily the Rangers need to lock one of them up before the trade happens. Like they can't trade for – I'm not saying they can't trade for Hurdle – before agreeing to terms with Mika Zibanejad. But I also just can't see a scenario where the New York Rangers enter camp with a freshly traded for center who is out of contract after the season without having at least one of their two top centers signed for next year. It just doesn't seem to make practical sense in my view. It makes almost zero sense uh, in this case where – I could see a situation where they're waiting to get this other center to finalize the Mika Zavinajad deal so that they know what they're working with in the long term. Maybe that's the case. So they're kind of biding their time say, okay. Sure, we- but again, the only player that makes sense with is if the other center is Jack Eichel because right. you're worried about how much money you will have for Mika Zavinajad. I, I, I would be very surprised, Ryan, if the New York Rangers are hanging around to offer Mika Zavinajad money because they're worried what Tomas Hurdle or Kuznetsov might bring back on the docket. Like, you're not worried about those guys eating in the Mika's money. We've done so many summers, Greg, and there's been times where we've had very little content. This is our Mm. sixth summer, fifth summer, one of them. Who cares? We've done a a Jamie VC month. We've had a lot of different i mean we had the Artemi Panarin and Jacob Truba summer that was very fun obviously we've had summers that were not fun at all and this summer is just so exhausting because it's just like hey we're still waiting for Eichel we don't know we have no idea and as soon as Pat Brisson decides he's going to force this surgery and maybe that delays the trade like i'm sorry everybody but it's it's going to go longer and i think the rangers are going to be in it till the last second they always were they always will be and I think they're one of the few teams that can legitimately make it happen. I've heard Montreal a couple times. Uh, all of a sudden, it's the Pat Brisson deal. Uh, oh, that, it's over now. They traded. They, they got Dvorak. They right. ate into their salary and gave up one of their first-round picks to get Dvorak. Right, so, so they're, they're not that. in anymore. So it's still down to what I believe Vegas can make it happen, Anaheim can make it happen, and the Rangers. And maybe there's, I guess, the Wild, you could say, are one of those teams. But they have like $15 million in dead cap space next year. It's and, and the year after. It's, it's... But the, the, the confusing part to me is the New York Rangers have said they want to be a better team and tougher to play against for this upcoming season. Yep. And again, we've, we've had this discussion on this summer more times than not. Even with the Buchnevich trade in mind, we don't necessarily think the New York Rangers have gotten worse, but we also don't think they've done anything to make their roster better. The, the things the New York Rangers are banking on to make them better are all internal improvements, yeah. which... Could work, but also could not. The only reason Gordon and Quinn aren't here anymore is because James Dolan got tired of this shit, which means he wants to make the playoffs. 
So if the New York Rangers want to make the playoffs, you're telling me they're just going to be fine playing the Jack Eichel game until the trade deadline? That doesn't make any sense. The New York Rangers aren't going to make themselves significantly better or just even slightly better between now and the start of camp, the start of the preseason, the start of the regular season. That doesn't – something doesn't jive there, Ryan. You, you, you're, the Rangers are saying three things at the same time. The problem is two of them contradict each other. That's another thing, again, again, with this. So the report is that if he gets the surgery, Eichel, let's say they are trading for him in this case, he'll be back in December. There's a lot of oh, games. Ryan, wasn't there a dude on this show who said that back in June? I don't know. That would be weird. Would it be you? I think. I think that's hmm. the case. We were, I think we were talking about that beforehand. And then a bunch of people came out and were like, no, he's good in four weeks. Like, I don't think so. That's probably hmm. not the case. So back, Interesting. Back in December – if he gets the surgery, which we do not know if he's had or not. So that doesn't really make the Rangers tougher to play against being without their one of their key centers. But at, at least then the, the Rangers are like, listen, we're going to have a tough road for these first couple of weeks. We're going to ride season, it out. We're going to do our best. But all we have to do is be 500, and then we're going to take off like a rocket ship. And I could see that vision. The, the vision I can't see is the Rangers constantly saying we need to add to our top six than not adding to our top six and saying we need to be a better team, we need to be a playoff team, and doing, I guess I would call it the bare minimum to even make that somewhat logical. Like, it's just, it's the messaging to me that is the most perplexing because the messaging has been all fucked up. It's been also, bad. Can I, can I say something too? I mean, I can. It's our podcast. The... The messaging hasn't really been around for a couple months. I expected – didn't you expect, like, another press conference or two maybe? Say something no. about the season? They it's, said, it's the, it, Ryan, it's the NHL. I, I'll expect one in two weeks. They've said nothing about anything in months. Who, who would they say it to? Everyone's fucking fishing and golfing. <laughs> yeah, Larry's buying Even you went into the woods, bro. I like, did. What, I who, did. Who – like, Drury, Drury takes one look at Twitter. It's like, fuck, that loser is going into the woods? I, gotta, I can't do it. I got to get no out of here. No one's around. Yeah, no one's yeah. around. Larry's Larry's he, on vacation. We were we were the last we were the last bastion of NHL insiderdom this summer, and then you went into the woods, and the New York Mets lit everything on fire. Hey, they're so winning now. We though. got taken out of. We got taken out. Yeah. All right. It's it's it it's sad because they said we were prepared for the summer of anything, and we've heard uh, you and I heard. I mean, we can talk about some of this stuff now because a lot of it's not going to happen. Uh, definitely. Well, I think the, the 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 problem with the summer of anything that we forgot is that nothing is technically anything. Fair. Like one of one of the roads that was presented to us on this Loki timeline here was that the New York Rangers just fucking do nothing, and we're like, all right, we understand that that's a possibility, but they're not actually going to do that. They've done six things before we even got to the off season. No way they're just going to sign Barkley Good to do what they did. <laughs> uh, anyway, in this case. So we heard different things, like even when J.D. and Gordon were around, that they were going to explore Chris Kreider to Seattle. We were going to – we you brought up to Larry Brooks where he poo-pooed you, the Matthew Kachuk thing. There was – they literally came out and said, we need a top six player. They have not done that in any way, shape, or form. They've actually traded away one. So in this case, there's – they did. They got Namath. I mean, let's recap. Just we could do it extremely quickly. They got Namath. 
They got some guys who can fight, and that's name, all they name, do. Namath? They got Joe Namath, Broadway Joe's back, baby! Namath, I'm sorry. And someone's going to crush me on that, and they should. They should, because I cover the team uh, in this case. So that, that why am I, I'm doing the pretty much thing where I'm saying in this case like a million times. Mm. It's, mm. it's pretty much the worst, and I must say. There is, at the end of the day, at the, at same, the, the, at the same time, <laughs> there is, there's no scenario where the messaging has fit this situation whatsoever. So let's see what happens in the next two weeks. I don't have anything else. Uh, Want to answer some quick five-star questions? Um, or do you have any other topics you'd like to go through? I'm trying to think of other things you may have missed. I really don't think you missed that much, which is sad. The thumbs down thing was there, ridiculous. Hey, will you fuck off? Um, the Mets, you know, if they lose today, they have the nicest record in baseball. Nice. 69 and 69, nice. baby. I was at a restaurant, uh, and I may or may not have been intoxicated. And, uh, I left the tip without even looking at the total and the total was 69.69. Felt really funny. Ooh. Felt really funny. Yeah. I, the, the thumbs down thing. It's just, it was one of those things where I was at the game and the Mets win. You were there? Vibes. I was there. Oh no! I was yeah, Ryan. <laughs> I was there. Uh, I'm. I get on a subway to go to Penn Station, right? To catch my Amtrak. By the time I get to the Amtrak waiting area, I open my phone, and Javi Baez is like, "Yeah, we're booing the fans." And I was like, "Oh God, this can only mean one thing. This is going to get worse." And just as it's dying down, Sandy Allison chimes in with, "Fuck you!" And I'm like, "God damn it! Now it's a thing!" And then fucking. Jesus Christ, like, here's the thing. You want to talk about messaging, Ryan. This is this is an, an abridged epilogue to the, the Greg rant that happened last week. That was an emergency podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patreon.com slash Bruce. There you go. It's the fact that Steve Cohen and Sandy Aldis come out and be like, can't say that to the fans. That's fucked up. And then Steve Cohen, the genius he is, goes on Twitter yesterday and tweets out, boy, what happened to all those fans giving Javi Baez a hard time? Maybe they're all on vacation. So let me get this straight, Steve. You're going to tell Javi Baez you can't troll the fans because that's fucked up. But you yourself can troll the fans. Doesn't seem to talk about things that don't add up. Money, baby. Greg Kaplan. He's going for it. Do you miss the Wilpons at all yet? No, right? Oh, God, no. I just... <laughs> I, I I got a kick out of I I I assume that was Nick Castellanos's wife who was like, please stop tagging my husband when tragedy happens. It was. Uh, I just if Nick Castellanos signs with the Mets, he's hitting a home run every day because they'll find a reason to be like, <laughs> every injury update will be followed with a Nick Castellanos home run, and every PR nightmare the Mets have will be followed up. He, he how many records do you want him to break if he signs with the Mets? Like I mean, seven, if, if he if he hits home runs with travesties, my man, we got a hundred home runs. That's it. <laughs> Every day, Jacob the Grub stubbed his toe. Home run. That toe now needs to be uh, amputated. Grand slam. Uh, we're taking the entire foot. It's three grand slams in one game. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it it'll happen. It'll be it'll be just magical. And I us, think that's what Steve should do. This leads us to a nice five star question. If you want to leave a five star question, you can leave them on iTunes. We're gonna start doing that again. Uh, you can leave them on iTunes, or you can go on our Discord. Five star questions on our Discord, and we'll read them on the show. What happens first, Eichel trade or the new MLB CBA from Nick I? I mean, at this point, it's got to be Eichel. I, remember when I said I know first Eichel or Chris Bryant, and I was. I was Eichel. I I couldn't see a situation where that wasn't the case. And uh, here we are. I started asking you in June. Yes. 
And I was very wrong as the insider mm. I am. Those are those are some of my fun fun tweets. I'm going to say the new MLB CBA because at this point I'm a trade deadline boy. I don't think he's getting moved before the trade deadline. Man, you might be right. Uh, I, I don't even actually know this. Uh, the the follow question is who gets traded from Jake Barrow? Who gets traded first, Eichel or Deshaun Watson? Is Deshaun Watson like even an option to play in the NFL currently? I mean, he's an option. Should he? No. Got it. Also, there have been a lot more Deshaun Watson rumors for trades than Jack Eichel trades in the last two weeks. So Jack Eichel's just it's surgery. a fair question, and I think the very easy answer is somehow Deshaun Watson question mark question mark What a world we live in. All right. Well, if you want to leave five star questions, it's it's terrible, Ryan. Freaking... You see, New York flooded, like all of it. Okay, so I have to talk about this because I was <laughs> clearly in the woods, uh, and my phone was off, no service. That's just how mm. it works in when you're uh-huh. camping. So, I. Uh, we, I was like, hey, it's gonna rain a lot tonight. And D, D was like, oh, we should probably buckle up. It's, it's a, it's gonna be quite the. There was like some little storm warning in, in, in Maine where we were, and we we're like, okay. So we slept through the whole thing. I was like, wow, it rained super heavy. We started driving back. We got a couple texts like, are you okay? Did you drown? We were like, yeah. What's up? We're like, it's just a little bit of rain. They're like, look at this video. This is my basement. It's like waist high water. Our friends, yeah. like our friends, lost like their entire apartments in Queens, like ridiculous shit, man. I, I did not see that coming. Yeah, it was New York, New York reached that um, peak level of climate change where the first notification you get is flood emergency, get to higher ground or die. And then the <laughs> oh very God. next notif- the very next notification you get is tornado warning, get to your basement or die. So it's just like, what do you do? Do you stand in the middle of the building? Do you stand on the third floor? Because if you go any higher, you die for the tornado. If you go any lower, you drown. So that really, you know, great world we live in. I actually, funny story, before we started recording, it is the final day of Saratoga. Uh, pour one out for the summer meet. I have won money, by the way, this entire Congrats. week. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Lost $400 at the casino yesterday. And Florida State uh, covered against Notre Dame. So I will go fuck myself. But that's neither here nor there. Right. Anyway. I need background noise as I study because that's something I've always done and is a sign that I have either like a <laughs> low operating sick. level of ADD or just am a sick, sick human being. Anyway, the movie I'm watching to help me study because it's one that I need a movie that I can look up from but not distract me from. You know what I mean? Something you've seen in the background a lot of the times like Ocean Eleven or something like that. So we are paused. We are 18 minutes and 40 seconds into the cult classic 2012. And I'm going to have just a grand old day thinking about how this surely will never happen. Yeah. And it's literally happening right now. <laughs> like the entire state of California is on fire. We can't get anything under control. New York City is flooding and at the same time being wiped off. Dude, 76, like by my house, was underwater. Yeah. Yeah. That's People like, were cool. jumping off an overpass into 13 feet of water. Neat. Um, I missed a lot. Yeah. You, you had. I still can't believe you didn't hear about Tanner Glass. It just I, blows my mind. Unbelievable. Now, you, you did hear about when you, you saw the Hank game, right? I, t- I texted you about the Hank game. No, come on, dude. Relax. <laughs> no, no, seriously. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not bullshitting you. They didn't put the tickets out yet. They didn't say no, what they did. No, no, come on. Let's get it's to our wild game. Let's get to our guest. No, they did? No, they didn't. Come on, relax. Yeah, they did. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. I'm, this is insider trading. My bad. Yeah, no, the wild game. Yeah, that's the one. They're the ones we have 12, 26 tickets for? Yeah. Yeah, got it. All right, cool. Yeah. All right, let's get to our guest, Andrew, and then we'll uh, we'll talk offer sheet with him, which is we are a big offer sheet podcast, so we'll finally get to discuss one somehow. Here we are, uh, transition. Hey, we're back with our first guest. We're welcoming back to the podcast, I guess the Habs 
person we have on the show all the time. Uh, Andrew Zardanowski, he writes for Eyes on the Prize. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. How about you? Uh, went on vacation to the woods, had a great time in Acadia, uh, and we talked about offer sheets on this podcast for years and how the NHL are scared to do them and how they're stupid and need to be remodeled, and yet it happened. When the offer sheet was tendered, what was your original thought process or how did you react? Oh, interesting. It's definitely, you know, the offer sheet option has always been there in the CBA. And for years we've been clamoring that, you know, why don't GMs use this tool to their advantage? There's got to be an RFA out there somewhere willing just to take the money and kind of forego any kind of loyalty to the team that drafted them. We saw Montreal do it several years ago when they offer sheeted Sebastian Ajo uh, from the Carolina Hurricanes, hoping that the signing bonus would be too rich for the owner's blood. As we know, it was not, and Carolina Hurricanes, you know, they kind of, uh, they matched the offer and they kind of had a chip on their shoulder. Now this coming, you know, this summer, typically, you know, August is pretty boring in the hockey world. Uh, dog, dog days of summer for hockey. And this offer sheet came in, and obviously my first, got, my first reaction was, this is a, a revenge offer sheet from the Carolina Hurricanes. Like, this is purely done out of spite to kind of trying to screw the, the Montreal Canadiens salary cap and the salary structure on the team. But, you know, the more I thought about it, it was exciting. It was exciting for these kind of tools to be actually used by the GMs um, to, to try to spice things up a little bit. You know, I think we're seeing sort of a, a new economy emerging in the NHL where – players that are coming off their entry-level contracts, they're still young, are, are starting to get paid for the role they're expected to take on the team, not the get paid for what they've done thus far. And so when this offer for Jesperi Kotkaniemi came in at $6.1 million for one year, I was shocked. I was like, wow, that's a lot of money for this guy who you know spent two games scratched in the Stanley Cup Finals, who's been sort of iffy who's got some you know he's got he has a real nice skill set a wicked wrist shot um but still a lot of maturing to do i was um to say i was upset yes i thought montreal would match i you know in, in my gut i'm like there's no way they're gonna let a first round pick third overall uh walk away from the organization i just i, I didn't see it happening so i figured okay well for a year montreal will have to just swallow that salary and then they negotiate a sort of a long-term deal after that. $6.1 million was essentially probably the, the sum total of the bridge deal that Mark Bergevin was offering Jesper Kakaniemi's agent. And that agent probably went to, or Carolina came to the agent and said, hey, what do you think about an offer sheet? How much would we need to give you? And that agent said, well, Montreal is offering a total 6.1. Make it 6.1 for one year. So what it did is essentially it aggregate, aggregated the total value of that bridge deal into a single year, and, and got that bridge deal out of, the, out of the way. So then Mark Bergevin had to decide, am I ready to commit to Jesperi Kotkaniemi long-term after this one overpaid season? And, and given internal evaluations of, of the player, given how he's progressed over three years, and, and granted, his first year as an 18-year-old was good. The second year had some bumps in it. And last year, probably some more bumps. Uh, I think Mark Bergevin evaluated the situation and, and, you know, and kind of came to the conclusion that Jesperi Kotkaniemi will not be worth the money this year or in the future. So Montreal lost that first-round draft pick to the Carolina Hurricanes in a sort of you know, retribution for the offer sheet to Sebastian Ajo. 
Uh, and that's that. It's another first-round pick wasted by the Montreal Canadiens, and yet another in their in their quest to try to develop someone correctly. I don't know how to put it, but I mean, uh, today Mark Bergeron had that press conference where he put a bit of the onus on Isperi Kotkaniemi for you know failing to buy into the system and not developing as the team would have wanted. But really, overall, there is a pattern of failure with the Montreal Canadiens to develop their first-round draft picks. So I think this must be a, a come-to-God moment for them and realize that what they're doing is is not working. And I think that's where we're at. I think this is a hopefully a turning point for the organization in terms of realizing that something is not working in terms of their, A, uh, the, the, the way they kind of scout for, uh, ahead of the draft, and B, how they're developing these players that they've drafted. That's kind of my overall summation of the whole situation. So, Andrew, walk me through the important point here that I want to emphasize to people because the amount the amount of people or fans, I should say, that are just anti-offer sheet at the beginning point of the conversation is alarming to me. There is a mechanism where the Canadians avoid this entire ordeal, right? It This mm. offer sheet only happens not just because of the handling of the player while he was developing, not just because of the handling of the player in the most recent playoffs, but the handling of the restricted free agent contract negotiation between the Canadians and Jesperi that we got to this point in August and now September where there wasn't a deal in place. There wasn't a lot of talk about a deal being in place. Essentially, the Canadians, if they wanted to avoid this, had an opportunity to avoid this and they elected, they either elected not to, or they thought it wouldn't happen. And quite honestly, both seem outrageous from a team building standpoint. But just just so people at home can understand, there was a scenario where the Canadians lock in a bridge deal with Yesberry long before it gets to this point with the uh, the Hurricanes. Was there not? Well, absolutely. What you do is you you, know, you sign a deal in season with him or you sign a deal with them uh, as soon as the finals were over. I mean, there's nothing stopping the GM from negotiating with the agent while the team is still playing. I don't think that's a locker room distraction. I don't think that's any sort of distraction to have some business uh, dealings or conversations in the background. Now, obviously, I don't know if people know Mark Bergeron's style of negotiating at all, but he's very um, strong-minded in terms of his position in negotiations. As we saw with uh, Philip Dano, where... Uh, the, the gap to bridge was $500,000, half a million on a massive contract per year, and, and Mark Bergeron refused to budge, and therefore Philip Deno went to free agent, unrestricted free agency and now is in L.A. Um, you know, Mark Bergeron has a very strong evaluation of his players, a very strong opinion of what that player is worth. Um, he, he kind of uh, appraises his player within the team's salary structure. He doesn't, doesn't want any player to be paid out of turn. Uh, in order not to influence future contract negotiations. And that's one thing he said today is that if I gave, if I gave into this offer sheet and gave you Sperry Kotkaniemi $6.1 million, um, next year I got to negotiate with Nick Suzuki. What is he going to be asking for as a top-line center in my organization? So, yes, to avoid this whole situation, you sign him ahead of time. But obviously there was a massive... Um, I, th I think one thing that was missing prior to a deal being made was trust. Um, in the in the in the presser by Mark Bergman after the uh, I think during free after 
unrestricted free agency. I forget, at some point in the summer, he had a press conference where the question was asked, well, is Jesperi Kotkaniemi your second-line center right now? And the answer that Mark Bergevin gave was very evasive. It was very noncommittal. It was very kind of like, eh, maybe, I don't, I don't think. You know, he don't want to commit to an answer there, primarily because anything he says in public can be used in negotiations. But at the same time, I, I believe he strongly did not feel that Jesperi Kotkaniemi was ready for such responsibility. And, and, and after that, after Philip Dano left the unrestricted free agency, there was a big question of who is going to be Montreal's second center. You know, we didn't have one. Like everyone's just like, Kotkaniemi, shrug. And, and that's kind of where things were headed. And Mark Bergevin, I think, just kind of evaluated the situation and saying, Kotkaniemi is not going to be our second line center this year. Therefore, he's not going to be worth the $6.1 million in going into the season. And it's not going to be worth uh, completely throwing my, my, my salary structure upside down in order to preserve him in my team. He basically by his evaluation determined that Jesperi Kotkaniemi was no longer a core player for for the organization, which is something to be said three years after you drafted him third overall. So you mentioned Deneau there for just a second. I kind of wanted to circle back because I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Was the number that was on the table for Montreal to Deneau very similar to what he got from L.A.? I don't remember exactly, and obviously anything that kind of is mentioned in the media is not necessarily the whole truth and nothing but the truth, but let's assume it is. I believe the number is a very small gap. It's a very small gap. He got basically the number he was looking for, that is Philip Dano, and I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong here because my memory's a little hazy. It's been a few months. I believe Dano got $5.5 million from L.A. per year. That is correct. Uh, and he, yeah, and I believe Mark Bergevin was only giving him five. Got it. I think so that's what the Rangers what offered want. also, because the Rangers were in on Zeno until they yeah. weren't at the last second. Yeah, and, and Dano, I think, is I, personally, like, I'm just speaking into going into next year, not looking long-term here, I think Dano is a bigger loss for Montreal than Kotkaniemi for next year. Oh, it has to be. Overall, yeah, when you draft a guy third overall, you expect him to be a core player for your, or your organization and there for the long run for, for a very long time. The problem is this. Montreal drafted him third overall, yes, but they drafted for, for need. They didn't draft the best player available. So by reaching to grab Jesperi Kotkaniemi in a, in a draft where centers were not as highly rated as other positional players, uh, Montreal took, took a gamble in saying, this guy may be the, the center we're looking for. Uh, but obviously it didn't play out that way. I think they brought him up too soon. Uh, he played as an 18-year-old in the NHL where Mark Bergman admitted today that they probably should have left him in Finland for another year. Um, they skipped the AHL step with him, which is something they did with Alex Galchenyuk as well. And if you kind of like bring these guys up too soon, and Montreal has a tendency of doing that, is that you risk, um, one, skipping developmental steps of, of, of basics, from going from junior to the pro ranks, of some, of some essential... Um, building blocks to, to build a long-term career. Montreal has a very bad track record at that. Even look at Michael McCarron, who had a tremendous, I, I don't know if you guys know Michael McCarron or not, but you know they drafted him six foot five, six foot six guy, uh, 20-something overall, huge kind of gamble, an all-or-nothing project. Uh, and in his first AHL year, uh, he was doing tremendous. He was absolutely burning up St. John's. Um, it was kind of, everyone kind of was like, oh, man, this, this, this big dude who's playing center is actually pretty decent. 
And, and within two months, Montreal called him up. And, and, you know, he played, I think, one game and then scratched him for a 15 straight game. Sent him back to St. John's with a completely shattered um, uh, confidence, completely shattered mindset, lost not knowing what he needs to do. Uh, and that was kind of the end of it. And eventually they just traded him out of the organization. So Montreal has a track record of, of um, speeding up uh, development. Uh, we saw it with Galchenyuk, and we saw it with Kotkaniemi as well, and, and, and here we are without any of those players. I got to – it sounded like earlier when you were talking about the process, the, you going through your emotions of what happened with Kotkaniemi, you seem pro-offer sheet still, even though your team lost out on a player – correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it was the number three overall pick, number four overall pick. Um, do you think the first would the Canadians have done better than a first and third round pick in a trade for yes, Barry, this off season? Interesting question. Uh, we, we know that, uh, Carolina was looking to trade with Montreal prior to giving the offer sheet. They approached Mark Bergeron and said, we want to trade for Kotkaniemi. We want him. And Mark Bergeron turned them down. Now what they offered is unknown. Uh, whether it was the first and the third, maybe. I mean, if, if I was if I was a GM going to another GM trying to grab their their third overall pick, I would say I would offer like I'm I'm willing to do an offer sheet, but I'm going to skip that step, not to not to um, you know disturb the waters too much. I'll give you a first and a third, which is the compensation you get in the case of an offer sheet, minus all the drama, minus the press conferences, minus the headache, minus the precedent set. Um, and, 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 you know, Mark Bergeron probably said no. And then hence came the offer sheet. The offer sheet came a day or two after they signed uh, Andrei Svechnikov to that extension as well for $7.75 million. Uh, so it seemed draft class as him, and that guy cashed in big. Uh, and I think Jesperi Kotkaniemi saw that the, Cur- the Carolina Hurricanes are willing to invest in their youth and trust their youth versus the, the, the treatment that he got from Montreal where – you know, the, the GM is non-committal to him. The head coach scratches him. Um, you know, if, if, if I was in one situation with Montreal where kind of like, where do I stand versus another team where they're paying their young stars uh, and they're reaching out to you and saying, we'll give you $6.1 million, I think it's a pretty easy answer. Uh, and to answer your question, I, I love the offer sheet. It makes the game exciting. It makes the, the thing exciting. I think the thing with the NHL, and, and, and hockey maybe kind of in general, is that it's, it tends to be bland at times, very mechanical, very process-oriented, very straightforward and linear. I like the offer sheet process because it, it causes disruptions. It causes a little bit of chaos. And, and I like a little bit of chaos. If you guys follow me on Twitter, you know that I throw some stuff in there on just, just to cause chaos with people. Um, and, and I like that. And, yeah, unfortunately, Montreal was on the brunt end of it. Um, but, you know, I would love to see more. Uh, it, it, the economy of the NHL is changing. Younger players are get, starting to get paid more. They're no longer treated as young players, and, well, you got to earn your stripes, you know, we're going to pay this veteran of 10 years uh, 10 million bucks while you're going to get two. You know, it's, it's younger players are starting to get paid more now. They're going to start to get paid for what they're about to do, not what they've already done. It's a whole new economy that's starting to be created in the NHL level, and, and it's exciting. It's interesting. It's it kind of spicing spices things up, and teams that are very um, conservative and very kind of gripping to the old school, uh, you know, they risk being left behind. This 
At the end of the regular season, I think you would agree the team that had the most intrigue around it was the New York Rangers, mostly because everyone got fired. And Tom Wilson uh, was a big part of that. There was a lot going on. This podcast, Greg and I uh, kind of coined it as the summer of anything can happen. And since we said that, almost nothing has. And yet, if you go up uh, about six hours from New York City to Montreal, everything has happened. What has you guys went to the finals? There was some some draft drama. There's been an offer sheet. What's been the most surprising thing since the end of the regular season for Montreal? Wow. Yeah, there's a lot that's gone on with Montreal for sure. Uh, first of all, yeah, the playoff run was, uh, I don't want to call it magical because it's a little you know corny as, as a descriptor, but it was fun to see the team go deep in the playoffs. Uh, you know, there, there's something that clicked in game five against Toronto. Jesperi uh, Kotkaniemi scores that overtime goal in game six. You know, it kind of seemed like, okay, well, we're on board. Like, this is our series. And sure enough, Game 7 went Montreal's way as well, and Toronto went home crying, which is always a treat. The best. Um, oh, well, <laughs> I don't want to be mean. Like I, every, every No, you can be mean. You're in the right place. Then, <laughs> all right, right on. Uh, the second round, I was like, against Winnipeg, I wasn't too sure what to expect of Winnipeg. That's, out of our entire division, Winnipeg was the, the team I couldn't figure out. So to face them in the playoffs in the second round, I'm like, ah, no, I don't, I don't think we'll beat them. And it was a sweep. So I'm like, oh, that's, that's nuts. But sure enough, here comes Vegas. Ah, you know, forget it. Vegas is going to steamroll us. They have Mark Stone. They have Max Pacioretty, Marc-Andre Fleury, and that. Yeah, like this, this was great. Made it to the semis. Cool. Let's, let's move on. And they get past Vegas. And I'm at this point. I'm like, what is happening? How, like, how is Montreal in the finals? This is incredible. Um, they ran out of steam a bit in the finals, and that's unfortunate. But, you know, Tampa Bay is an incredible team. Uh, and, and Montreal, I don't think there was ever a game that was really got out of reach for them. Tampa was a better team. I, I can't argue that. But, uh, you know, Montreal was in, in it till the very end. And, and a day later, this, one or two days later, this, this, this word comes out that Shea Weber is done. Shea Weber, the captain of the team that was playing 25 minutes a game, um, apparently can barely make it to the arena to lace his skates up. Uh, and, and you start kind of scratching your head going, oh, my like, God. I just watched this guy, like, play tremendous hockey probably the best hockey he's played since he joined montreal uh and you start kind of piecing together what you know what his life is like off the ice and you're like oh, oh my god like this guy this guy is a got incredible pain threshold but b like the, the the point of him having all these off-season surgeries was the, the words being used is to improve his quality of life once you start using terms like that you know it is serious like the heart of shea weber that on the ice he never showed he never grimaced he never even like just never showed that how much pain he was truly in because he was such a consummate professional and and loved the game of hockey uh anyone anyone who held any kind of resentment from the pk suban trade um had to respect that honestly i think that debate ended i think the ill will towards you know not accepting shea weber because of who he was traded for went away when all that information came out and then you kind of go back to that Tampa Bay series, and I believe it was game six, when Shea Weber got a four-minute minor for high-sticking. And it's quite possible that his career would have ended sitting in the penalty box. Montreal killed that penalty with literally absolutely everything they had. Tampa Bay was peppering them, and Montreal was blocking shots, was doing everything in their power for that game not to end on a power play goal with Shea Weber in, in the penalty box. 
that was like when you look back with the new information gained, uh, you 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 almost you almost shed a tear realizing what that team was fighting for. They were not fighting for the Stanley Cup while playing in the Stanley Cup Finals. They were all fighting for Shea Weber, their captain. And for me, that was so powerful, such a powerful moment when you look at it in retrospect. And now to kind of hear that he may not play again, that for sure was drama number one. Um, drama number two: Carey Price having surgery off season, and, and when they, you know, again, Carey Price who has got a, a history of injuries and just starting his like eight the eight year contract uh, at ten million dollars going under the knife again. You start questioning like, oh my god, like how much gas does Carey Price have left in him? You know, your two highest paid players, your two major team leaders are are you know bent because of this playoff run and, and, and you know how banged up they are carry price apparently be ready for the regular season which i hope obviously but that's another piece of drama then came the entry draft yep. where montreal did the unthinkable i mean if stop me at any point if you want to kind of fill in the blanks here but the entry draft montreal drafted the one guy who said i do not want to be drafted this year everyone please leave me alone so i can get my life back together and Montreal, the city with the biggest spotlights, the biggest shining lights on hockey, chose this guy. To me, which was just mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Still um, is, by the way. Still is. I mean, this guy um, suspended by the OHL now because he violated the rules of conduct. And a lot of people are saying, this guy already paid his penance. What is the OHL doing? Oh, I'm sorry. The OHL is a separate governing body from European leagues, separate governing body from Hockey Canada. The OHL did what everyone else did and said, this guy fucked up and he must pay the consequences. So Montreal went on a limb to draft this guy, immediately felt the wrath from everywhere. Everyone who didn't care about hockey cared about that draft pick. Um, but he wasn't even projected from- to be in a first rounder. That's what's so crazy. <laughs> even if you like go down to like take away everything else, it's like, well, he has every other yep. problem on the, under the face of the sun. It's not like the talent is so great that they were like, okay, this is it. Uh, that's what's so weird about the whole thing. It's like you're asking for trouble for reach. not the upside. Well, exactly. It's, it's a reach pick with a, so much baggage that you'd fill like five train loads with it. You know, and I feel do I feel bad for this kid? I don't know. Like he did a he did a crime. He committed a crime. Full stop. Um, is he allowed to have a second chance at life? Yes. I don't think that having the projectors on him in Montreal is going to lead to a healthy rehabilitation for him. No, no shit. I really don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think Montreal did this kid any favors. And if you looked at that Zoom call uh, the the day after he was drafted or whatever, whenever that was. He looked like a deer in headlights. He looked like a guy who did not want to be there. And if that is your first experience with the team that drafted you, man, oh, man. I, but I almost felt bad for him. That's also, like I felt bad for him. Andrew, that's also kind of it, though, right? Like, if you feel the need to have a Zoom call to justify the draft pick, don't yep. make the draft pick. They had a statement ready to explain why yeah. they picked him. I mean, if you have to prepare a statement explaining the logic behind picking him that goes beyond hockey, maybe don't do it. Um, so that what an awesome. This is what I was saying, Andrew. It's like we were ready for everything, and yet everything actually happened in Montreal this year. 
Oh my God! Yeah, like the guys from Eyes on the Prize have been tremendous, like t- tremendous patience. Like none of us have rested. Like I, I honestly, I haven't written anything all summer. I'm too busy with with home life, unfortunately. So I'm kind of on the periphery. But the guys that do all the the, the brunt work over there, I have been sweating it out. Not to mention another small story that I kind of glanced over because it's so minimal compared to everything else. But Joel Bouchard, the guy who resurrected their minor league program, just up and left to Anaheim for the same position, not even for a promotion to Anaheim, just up and left for the same job in Anaheim. What does that tell you about the kind of company culture where guys willing to take the same exact job somewhere else? You know, typically in the NHL, you see guys doing, you know, you know, taking jobs with other organizations because it's a promotion or it's a, it's a step up or, or whatever. Joel Bouchard took a job, which is essentially the same with Anaheim and Anaheim hasn't made the playoffs in how many years? So he's not like he's going even a better organization. He's just like, I want out of Montreal. Man, so it, there's 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 so much. We haven't even talked about that beautiful week where it looked like Carey Price was going to be left exposed to Seattle and everything was great oh in the world. <laughs> um, I forgot about that one. I don't even know what the top drama is anymore. I'm just rambling on and everything's horrible. I know. I feel like we I haven't even it. hit half of it, which is unbelievable. Well, I, I do, not to cut you off, because again, like, boy, no, no, Montreal, sure. what a time to be alive. But I do want to live in that. I don't even know if it was 72 hours. Ryan missed it because he was out in the woods and disconnected from the world. But there was at least a 48-hour stretch there where people thought, holy shit, wait a second, is Jack Eichel going to Montreal? And I have two questions. One, did you ever convince yourself that Jack Eichel was ever on the table for Montreal? And two, if you convinced yourself of one, did you look into billboard space (laughs) and what it would cost you to do it in Montreal? (laughs) Well, I didn't look into billboards because, like, you know, that costs a lot of money. But Jack Eichel in Montreal, I would like it. Honestly, Montreal hasn't had that superstar center in in who knows how many years. I want to say Sacco Koivu was probably the last one. But even then, Sacco Koivu, like, he's a guy that carried the team on his shoulders. So he's doing a lot of defensive assignments as well. Probably the last true offensive centerman was Vincent Dalfus. And you got to go back into the 90s for that. You know, we haven't had that guy. And is Jack Eichel that guy? He's got the potential of it. Just that the potential of being a top-line superstar center for Montreal is enticing enough. Um, the price to pay for Jack Eichel, that may set back the organization a few years. So you got to really consider the pros and the cons. And, you know, what stage of, uh, you know, what stage is this organization at? Are they at the stage where they're going for the Stanley Cup or at the stage where they got, you know, two to three years to kind of build a, build a contender? And, I think Montreal right now is not willing to pay the price for Jack Eichel, even if he is, you know, one of the top snipers in the league. I'll, I'll, I'll say top five, top six. Um, but I don't think Montreal is willing to pay the price. To see Montreal pull off like a, a blockbuster trade that brings in a Jack Eichel, that'd be fun too. I mean, at the end of the day, the name of the game is entertainment. You know, the, the, the purity of hockey, if you just love the game of hockey, the purity of hockey, Go watch some minor league stuff. Go watch like some midget stuff in your town, wherever you are. If you love the game, go go to the arenas. It doesn't matter what's being played. Uh, a lot of people watch the NHL because it's it's entertainment. They they compete for your entertainment money. Uh, you can either go to the movie theater or you can go out to the bars or you can go see an NHL game. So where there's entertainment, where there's drama, it will draw people. And and the conversation of bringing in a Jack Eichel obviously perked up a lot of ears. Um, you know. I don't think it'd be anything bad. Mind you, if he doesn't perform in Montreal, a superstar that's brought in and doesn't perform in Montreal, 
oh, he gets just run out of town, tar and feathered, uh, which is also part of the entertainment, I suppose. Definitely is. <laughs> uh, so that brings us to the next question, because again, as you as you may have heard, you've been busy. You may have not heard it, not even from a having a kid standpoint. Congratulations, by the way. Good, good job. Yep, good nice swimmers. Job. Well done. Yep. Um, Hooray. There's. <laughs> There's the this whole thing where the Rangers have been connected to Jack Eichel, and we may have had to talk about it for I don't know Ryan what are we on This is week uh, <sighs> 17 in a row Yeah, give or take uh, more, but yeah, whatever. But you start talking about Jack Eichel so much, you start talking about other scenarios, and quite honestly, I find it quite rude that the Canadians took one of the other scenarios off the table. What are your thoughts on the Christian Dvorak trade? Do you think it was too much? Do you think it was a fair price considering? You got the extra first-round pick uh, from Jesperi. Do you think it makes the Canadians better, keeps them the same, makes them worse? Just general vibe on the now Christian Dvorak era in Montreal. Yeah, for sure. Like, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't watch too much Arizona hockey. Uh, you know, the time is limited, and I typically focus on, on the Eastern Conference uh, at best. But from what I've heard, uh, Christian Dvorak is going to be a – more of a Philip Dano replacement for Montreal than a Barry Kotkaniemi replacement. You're getting a, a seasoned player who is tenacious, has uh, offensive skills, uh, handles his defensive assignments well. Um, so to me, that kind of rings more of a Philip Dano uh, replacement, which is probably what Montreal should have done. If they want to try and replace a Jesperi Kotkaniemi, you're basically replacing a, uh, a question mark. Um, at least for next season. In the long run, hey, man, if, if Jesperi Kotkaniemi develops into a 30-goal scorer or more or better, hey, good for him. You know, he would have been drafted in the right position at that point, and all the scouts can be happy that they were right. But for next season, uh, Christian Dvorak, I think, um, answers the question of who will be our second-line center because Philip Dano is gone. No one was asking who's going to be our second-line center because Jesperi Kotkaniemi was gone. Everyone was asking the question, is Jesperi Kotkaniemi our second-line center? So it kind of, you know, you got to look at it from that perspective that you answer the question of who's our Dino replacement, uh, and that's where Dvorak kind of fits in. Uh, and and I, think, I think it's a good thing. I'm looking forward to see how he, who he gels with. On a second line, you're probably looking at a Brendan Gallagher as a winger for him. And, you know, given that he played for Arizona, I can, I can confidently say that Brendan Gallagher might be the best winger he's played with. So, you know, I, I don't want to be overconfident, but I'm happy – that he's coming into a good situation into a team that's got, I think Montreal's got stronger wingers than the new centers right now. So, you know, he, he was needed. It's not like, you know, he's very caught. Can uh, shunted off to the left wing in Carolina because they didn't need a center, which makes you wonder why they put an offer sheet for him in the first place, which kind of makes you realize that it really was just pure revenge, nothing more. Um, and, and DeVork will fit in. Like he fills a need. Here's my last question, and then I'm, I'm, yeah. and then I'm Montreal out of my mind. With how do the people feel in the city of Montreal about Bergevin and the entire organization in general right now? You just made a finals, and yet there is so much going on elsewhere. Carey Price, we we slander him a lot on this show, but he's got a, a second surgery. There's a lot. There's so much. Is there a positive feel going into the season? Do they feel like they can compete again with losing to no? Where? What I don't even know how I would feel if I was covering the team right now because the Rangers are supposed to be up and up, and if they're not, I'm pissed off. But with Montreal, a step back is kind of reasonable, but it's also not. It's it's a strange place to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I was uh, before before you answer that. I just want to say that as a New York Met fan, 
I don't know how you're doing it. And I need you to understand <laughs> that that comes with some heavy, heavy understanding of what's going on in Montreal. I just, I wouldn't know. Montreal's offseason is a lot from any perspective. So if a Met fan yeah. thinks that he, you, I don't know how you're doing it, I don't, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how fast that sole sign of making the finals wore off. It's incredible. Montreal made the finals for the first time since 1993, and within two or three days, that glow is gone. Um, wow. I've, that's, that's the, that was the first real shocker for me at how fast that glow wore off that we made the finals. If there wasn't all this drama, if there wasn't the Shea Weber situation and the Philip Tenot being gone and this offer sheet and, this, and the entry draft, there's just been so much working against that feeling of we made the final last year, nya, 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 screw you all. There was just, it went from there to, um, oh, my God, like what is this team going to do next year? Like We just lost a defenseman who plays 25 minutes a game. Who's going to replace him? We just lost our goalie who starts 60 games a year. Is he going to be the same guy after surgery? We just drafted a guy who may never make the NHL because he's going to be a head case by the time he's, uh, you know, 25. Who knows? Um, it's, it's a lot to take on for sure. But I think the one thing that we just need to, like, once you sweep away all the drama and all these stories, you realize the, the answer lies within replacing one or two guys. You need to replace a Shea Weber. Well, can Jeff Petrie do it? He did it for a while. Can anyone backfill Jeff Petrie? Well, you know, there are some options. Maybe Alexander Romanov in his second year uh, can start taking some, some big minutes, and that's pretty good. Um, you know, they, they're replacing a Thomas Tatar who went to unrestricted free agency, brought in Mike Hoffman. I like Mike Hoffman. I think he has a lot of potential in him. You know, he's, he's, I think he had a 30-goal season. That's good. There's some strong wingers there. Uh, Brendan Gallagher, he's obviously always injured. He's the perennial guy who play, who play with pain and will smile in your face you know, because you made him bleed. Uh, he'll be back and healthy after an offseason. So, you know, he's going to be decent. I think Montreal has a lot of pieces. They have a lot of pieces coming back from last year, which is great. They have Jake Allen coming back, who did an admirable job, admirable job when uh, Carey Price was faltering in the regular season. And I think they'll give him more games this coming year. Um, so, you know, there's a couple of, only a couple of question marks. They lost Philip Dano, sure, but they got a Christian Dvorak in. Great. Um, you know, if once you let all the dust settle from the drama, you realize that this team is not going to be that much different from the ones that went to the Stanley Cup Finals. So, what can we expect this coming year? Yeah, <laughs> good question. I have never been able to perfectly understand whether Montreal is a good team or a bad team. And I don't know if it's the same problem with every fan and for every fan base. Um, but Montreal will play great games against great teams and play terrible games against terrible teams. They'll beat teams they shouldn't beat. They'll lose against teams they should beat, uh, and, and it's all over the place. So my wish for next season is consistency. I would like to know whether this is a good team, a lucky team, a bad team, uh, and so forth. I think Montreal, should they play like they did last year, and don't forget the divisional alignments are going to be back to what they were before. So Montreal now has to compete with the Bostons and the Tampa Bays and the Floridas. Those are all teams on the up and up, I think, personally. Um, you know, maybe Detroit and Ottawa are going to be the kind of the loners in the league at the bottom of the division. But the, the Eastern Conference, or the, the, the Atlantic division, 
Uh, wait, which division does Montreal play in? Atlantic? Whatever. I forgot. Right? It's, it's, I, yeah, it's I do a, believe it is the Atlantic because somehow it's been a year, right? I've completely forgotten. And I'm allowed to forget because it's been so long. It's COVID, in COVID years, it's been about ten years since we've had normal fact. divisional alignments. Yes. So, but that division is going to be very strong. So Montreal is going to be plus Toronto, right? Toronto is also very strong in the regular season. So Montreal is going to be <laughs> playing against some very good teams in the regular season. Um, can they make the playoffs? I think. They're still going to be in a hard. Uh, they're going to be in a fight to make the playoffs. I had them pegged in as a um, as as a wild card team potentially before all the drama of unrestricted free agency and uh, the offer sheet came in, and I think that's where they'll remain. The Christian Dvorak pickup uh, nullifies the losing Dano, but the team has still has some question marks to fill, and I think given their competition to make the playoffs, they will remain in that sort of wild card spot. Uh, and I'd love to be proved wrong. I'm always cautiously pessimistic, uh, and I'd love to be surprised. Andrew, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on tonight on on a holiday in America, and at least discussing or putting holiday. your sores away. What do you, What do you mean a holiday in America? Oh, you're talking about Labor Day. I thought you were talking about Rosh Hashanah, and I was going to tell you that that's a holiday <laughs> everywhere. No, no, no. It's Labor Day. So there you uh, go. <laughs> that's fair. It's Labor Day I, in Canada, and happy Rosh Hashanah to to, to all, all my Hebrew friends out there, and. And everything, man. Just to like, you, Rick. Let's, let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. I can't wait. We'll, when, when we uh, actually play the Montreal Canadiens this year in regular season, we'll have you back on. Can't, uh, you want to plug all your stuff Perfect. before you get out of here? Well, you know, the website is HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Um, we're currently doing our, our marquee annual feature of the top 25 under 25 prospects in the organization. As is tradition so people, in sports media this time of year. Annual. For sure, dog days of summer. You got to fill up. You got to find content somewhere. Trust me, well, we put a billboard up. We know. Which was <laughs> 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 that was a coup. That was great. You guys got coverage everywhere. I, like you know, I saw it being covered in the in Russian newspapers, in Finnish newspapers, Swedish sites. I mean, you guys made the made the rounds. I don't know, Andrew. We heard it was a waste of money. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I comes your way, then it'll be all worth it, right? God damn it! Please let it end. <laughs> all right Wager, uh, guys, what's your twitter before you get out of here the twitter is at a zadarsky dot uh well there's no dot it's just a at well at a zadarsky <laughs> dot com all right and you can follow me dot com, you, dot you can follow greg at blue shirts break you can follow me at orime we'll be back next week we love you guys thanks andrew thanks to everyone listens bye and this episode of the podcast is brought to you by the offer sheet club which i feel like we have to rename because one actually happened crazily enough adam cohen adam clinch Kitch? Kitch? Let me, Adam, let me know how I say your name. Because I'm very bad at this, in case you were wondering. Alex Gardner, Amber Coesberger, Ben Waters, who's always posting his grind on Twitter. Ben Weber, Biggs Malone, Brian Doyle, Broadway Busher Bleeder, Chris Finelli, CJ Stellwagen, uh, Daniel Dejan, 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 I always mess that one up. David Narodin, David, uh, David Siegel, Dennis Deitz, Eric Stagg, George Obrinsky, Give Gardner a Cup, Jake Berkowitz, JD Jimmy Mack, Chris from Florida, Christoph Berg, Kyle Franklin, Lazik Gronkowski! Lucas K, Matthew Kine, Patrick Kovarev, Stephen Lomayer, Stig Bulbach. I think I said the, the right, the last, he messaged me to let me say, I, I could say the back part from also. Swinegart, the drop BK. Tom, I think Tommy actually messaged me, I think, on how to repronounce his last name. I think I kept messing it up. As it, it's, it's not Sinclairy, it's a different one. I'm going to actually, this is great podcasting. It's actually uh, Suclary. Nailed it. Freaking killing it. I'm back in full force. Unbelievable stuff. Tommy O'Neill, Tori from Manhattan, legendary Tori. 
Vinny Brocco, Vinny Hay, Will Spector. Cannot wait to enjoy the season with all of you as we are back. If you want to join our NHL Insiders chat, there is a way. You know how to do it, patreon.com. And uh, there hasn't been much Insider news as I've missed nothing, but I'm assuming there'll be stuff to come soon. I don't know anything, I promise. If I did, they would know. That's for fact. We love you guys. We'll be back next week. Bye. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.